Derek and Pam, appreciate that good singing this evening, wonderful hymn, day by day, how the Lord takes care of us each and every day. Hebrews chapter 11, Hebrews chapter number 11, and uh, break out of our Hope is in the Lord series, uh, just a, a little bit, and go to a passage of scripture that I, I know that we know uh, fairly well, and we probably have even memorized Hebrews 11, uh, 1 and 2, uh, probably many of us have committed uh, these verses to memory at some point in uh, our past, but we are going to look at building our faith, building our faith, and I want to get to some practical uh, aspects of this uh, message and of this theme tonight, uh, but we're going to uh, go by, we're going to, we're going to dive in by going straight to Hebrews 11 and verses 1 and 2 and looking at these, these verses and breaking them down into the, uh, the, the, the expositional aspects of these two verses. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report, and then, I know I had Derek uh, read verses 1 and 2, but let's add verse 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. So we, we understand the basic aspects of faith. We know that we're saved by faith, faith alone in Christ alone. We understand that faith is trust. We understand that faith is uh, depending upon, believing in uh, God, his word, his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11, we know is the, the hall of fame of faith, the faith chapter in the Bible, the hall of fame uh, of faith, as we sometimes refer to it. And we see these examples of people who lived by faith. And these biblical examples are a testimony. In Hebrews 12, they're referred to as a cloud of witnesses. Again, not that they're up in a grandstand in the sky looking down on us and watching us as we run our race of the Christian life. But they're examples. They've gone before us. We can learn from their life. Not that they were perfect. All of them had failure in their life. All of them were sinners saved by grace. But we can learn, we can glean from their example, from their life. So we are to be building our faith. We're to be growing in our faith. Now, our faith is only as strong as the object of our faith. One of the reasons that we're replacing the pews is if you're sitting in the far back section, you know that your faith is not as strong when it comes to those pews in the back sections. No offense to anybody sitting back there, but if you've ever sat down in those back sections, you know that there's a little bit of give uh, to those pews. And so we're thankful for the solid wood pews that God has provided for us that we're going to have uh, installed, Lord willing, in about a month. And uh, we're, we've had a, a few of us on the, on the building committee or, or among uh, the group that have been up there who have sat in these pews and we, we know how solid uh, these are and uh, what a blessing that will be. But we, we know that our faith is only as strong as the object of our faith. So you go to a store, you go to a place that you're, you're buying something, and we know how it is. You go and you buy the, the name brand item. But sometimes, because of budget, especially as we've been dealing with uh, high inflation and all that that's been going on, sometimes we, we cheat a little and we buy the store brand. And I'm just going to be honest with you that there are certain cereals. I'm a cereal lover, and there are certain cereals that the store brand, it just doesn't meet the measure. It just doesn't meet the, meet the cut. 
And I'll just tell you right now, Honey Nut Cheerios. I, I love Honey Nut Cheerios. I love Wheaties, okay? But you can't buy the store brand of Wheaties. It's, it's like eating horse food. Um, it's just mush. Um, you, you buy the store brand of, of Honey Nut Cheerios, and uh, it's, it's, it's just like eating stale Cheerios uh, with a little sprinkle of honey on them or something. They're just not the same. And we, we, we go to the store and we have faith in a, in a sense in a certain name brand and then we don't have faith when we realize the generic just doesn't, just doesn't make the cut. We have faith though, we exercise faith in, in hundreds of ways each and every day. Uh, some of you have less faith in your vehicle because it might be an older vehicle, maybe it's had some maintenance problems. But we realize, do you realize we exercise faith every time we turn the, the car on because that ignition is linked to an internal combustion engine, which is fueled by gasoline, which is very combustible and flammable. But we get in the car, we turn the ignition, and we expect the car to start, and we don't blow up. We don't get sent to the moon by the, the gas tank. Because we have faith that the people who built that vehicle knew what they were doing. We have faith when we go to a restaurant. There are some restaurants you never go to again. Because you've lost all faith. You've lost all confidence in them. But you go, we go to a restaurant and we have faith, even though the cook is somebody that you would never want to see in a dark alley after midnight. You trust that as a cook, he knows what he's doing. And when your food comes out on your plate or in the bag or on the tray, you trust that that food is meeting certain health standards and not going to make you sick. We exercise faith in lots of different ways. Our faith in God is not a commodity that, in a sense, grows in, in number. Well, I had 1,000 points of faith yesterday, but I'm only down to 500 points today. I only feel like I got about 500 today. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. So does Jesus Christ only put 1,000 uh, points of effort in to helping us and taking care of our needs one day and then the next day he's only putting in 500 points of effort? Of course not. It's not that our faith is a commodity that is uh, added to and taken away from like a point system. Our faith is a trust and a believing in God and his, his son Jesus Christ. And it's a weakness of our faith and a lack of trust and dependence that gets us in trouble, that causes us to fail, that keeps us from obeying, or uh, we give in to the temptation instead of believing that God can give us the victory. And we, again, we exercise that in a thousand ways. So as we build our faith, I want us to look at, first of all, that we build our faith with confidence. And I, I know I, I, I use this passage, uh, I think it was back in October, I was looking through my notes, and I believe it was back in October, uh, I dealt with this passage in another message in our Hope is in the Lord uh, series. So I know I'm doing a little bit of review here. But we build our faith with confidence. We build our faith with confidence because Hebrews 11 and verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That word substance means assurance. It means confidence. It, it actually, in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, it is uh, linked to, or is the word person, translated person, and then linked to express image in another passage uh, in, in Colossians. So 
we are exercising faith with confidence. We build our faith with confidence. We have confidence in God and who he is, his character. The express image speaks to the deity of Christ, the essence of who God is. So we can live out our life of faith with confidence in God and who he is. You think about all that's going on in the world today. From the war in Ukraine to all the political turmoil in our nation, to what is going on in other parts of the world from the energy crisis, to the thousand headlines. And again, I've talked about it in here before. One of the the burdens that the younger generations have to bear that we in, in the older generations didn't when we were growing up is the burden of a thousand headlines. Our young people today grow up in a world where there is 24-7 news and it's on their phones, it's on the TVs, they can just go to YouTube and they can see the, the, the different uh, videos, on and on it goes. They carry with them the burden of a thousand headlines. That creates additional anxiety, that, in, that creates in the, in the case of a child who's not oriented toward God, who's not a believer, whose parents are not bringing them to church, who are not teaching them in the ways of the Lord. Think about all that that anxiety brings to an unsaved person, to a young person who's growing up in this world and doesn't have the hope of the gospel, doesn't have the hope of Jesus Christ, doesn't have the promises of God's word to live by. No wonder there's a lack of confidence. No wonder there's despair. No, wonders that, no wonder there's anxiety. The statistics, I just listened to another podcast, Christian podcast on Friday, and the statistics that they were giving about suicide and depression and anxiety, it's scary. And they were giving them for even young people, junior high and high school. There is a confidence in living the Christian life that is found in God, in who he is, in his character. We need that confidence. In this world, with all of the attacks upon our faith, with all of the negative news, with all of the uncertainty in the world, from health to the violence, to the wars around the world, to the threats uh, of even going to a shopping mall now in Greenwood, Indiana. I've been to that mall where that shooting took place not that long ago to a grocery store, there is a lot of threats to our security and to our safety in a physical sense. How then do we cope with this world? And then you add the psychological pressures, you add all, again, the burdens of the headlines, you then deal with all the brokenness in our homes. They're now saying that the trauma of a child in a divorced home the home where there is a divorce, the trauma of that child is, is reaching levels, uh, if I remember right, it's reaching levels of PTSD for a, a soldier who has been in battle. And I'll have to go back and, and look at that research again, but I, I heard the other day that they're finding that a, a child who's gone through a, a, a home where there's been a very bad divorce that the trauma in that child's life is similar to a soldier who's been on a battlefield and being shot at. That's scary to think of that, how that has affected when we're seeing the high rates of divorce in our culture and being a Christian school principal for many years, I would often get caught betwixt in between two parents as they fought over everything from money 
to pick up and drop off times, to lunch money, and who was going to pick them up from aftercare, and we would often get caught betwixt and between, and the kid was the pawn in the middle. I remember dealing with kids who came into school, they had no lunches, Uh, they went to bed at night, mom or dad wasn't even home, they put themselves to bed along with their little brother or sister, on and on it goes. There is so much anxiety, so much despair and loneliness in our culture. We need the confidence of our faith and trust in God, in the promises of his word, and the principles and the commands of the word of God. So our faith has confidence in our faith also has conviction. We build our faith with confidence and with conviction. The word evidence, the evidence of things not seen. Evidence is the word that means conviction. It even is in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, translated reproof. So it speaks to a standard that can be pointed to and says, do you measure up to this standard? So when the word of God, and specifically in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, the scriptures bring that reproof. In other words, the scriptures point to the standard, point to God's standard and say whether we measure up or not. Point to that standard and show us whether we're, where we're at in measurement to God's standard. Not to the world's standard, not to the, the, the people around us and how other Christians are living, but ultimately the standard of God and his word. In a negative sense, it's referring to something bad that needs corrected in a positive sense it is something good that is held strongly so we build our faith with conviction and that conviction is rooted in the character of god his word his promises his commands his principles so i believe that as christians we need to have biblical convictions and i know through my life it has taken a lot of time has taken a lot of study. I've been, I've been in classes. I've met with godly men. I've been blessed to be on staff with some godly pastors. I've had the opportunity to go to seminary and go to a Bible college. And I'm thankful for the doctrines classes, the theology classes that I took. One of the hardest classes I ever took was theology in grad school and seminary. And Dr. Bell, and he, he really made us think. He really made us work. And picking up huge volumes of theology and having to have a reading assignment and go through that big volume of theology and dig through that. And then by talking with other men and, and, and working uh, with uh, people, building my convictions, but ultimately building my convictions how? By going to the word of God, by looking at what God's word says and how this applies in this situation. I grew up a Baptist and I was a Baptist because that's all I ever knew growing up. And I'm thankful for that. But there came a day as I got into Bible college and seminary, I became a Baptist by conviction. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't other people outside the Baptist world that, that don't get to heaven. Okay? I'm not saying the Baptist way is the only way to heaven. Uh, I do think it's the, it's the, it's the lead. It's, it's out in front. Okay? <laughs> I do think that the Baptist way is the most biblical way. I'm a Baptist preacher, and I'm Baptist by conviction. That took a lot of time and years. You, you, you asked me 25, 30 years ago, or whatever it was, when I was coming out of high school, going into Bible college, 
and you ask me why I was a Baptist, I'd say, well, that's all I've ever gone to church at is Baptist churches, my mom and dad are. I mean, I would have known a little bit, but it, it, it really got into Bible college and seminary that it became a conviction. And I, I'm a Baptist by conviction. And I can go to other areas of my life where I have convictions. And we need to have biblical convictions. But that conviction must be based on the Word of God, the standard of God's Word. We build our faith on the Word of God. We build our faith on the standard of God's Word. So we build our faith with confidence and with conviction. And then also with character. This is the living out of that confidence, the living out of those convictions. This is the practical rubber meets the road of our faith. 2 Peter chapter 1. We've been in Hebrews 11. Let's go over to 2 Peter chapter number 1. We were in this passage back in the fall, uh, last fall, as we were going through 1 and 2 Peter. But let's go back to 2 Peter chapter number 1, and we'll see that God has given unto us, according as his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. That's verse number three. God's given us everything we need for salvation and for living the Christian life. We're given exceeding great and precious promises, verse four, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we have the divine nature. Now we are to live separate from the world. We're positionally escaped from, we have positionally escaped from eternal damnation. But now we have to progressively live out that faith, showing that we have escaped the corruption of the world and all of its lusts. So we don't live in the corruption of the world. We don't live a lustful, sensual, selfish life. We live a life that is distinct and that is different, that is separated from that. So how does that manifest itself? Well, we go on in verse number 5. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we add to our faith. We supplement our faith with these virtues, these character traits, they're Holy Spirit produced. They're produced through the Word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. The, literally, it is the idea of a conductor supplying everything the choir or the orchestra needs to be able to do their performance. Now, I've been in a band, I've been in a choir, and I've been under some pretty good conductors. Some have been better than others. But a good conductor knows how to lead that orchestra, knows how to lead that choir in such a way that that choir or that orchestra produces a good concert, a good sound. Some of us have been to a symphony orchestra concert. I'm going to pick on Allison a little bit over here. She's in music at school, and she, she knows a lot more about this than I do. But there's a, a certain order of the way the conductor leads, the way the director leads, that brings organization, brings order, and allows the orchestra, the band, the choir, to bring forth a sound, to bring forth a music, to bring forth a performance that is inspiring. 
If you've been to concerts like that, one of the greatest uh, conductors, directors, uh, music writers, John Williams. Uh, some of his music has, has been used in all kinds of popular movies. And you listen to his music, and if you've ever watched any of his concerts, any of his uh, performances where he has led, you can sense how his leadership brings the best out of that choir, out of that orchestra. And a good director, a good uh, band director can do that. And there's, an insp- and there's an inspiration to their performance. And if you've been in a concert like that, if you've been in a concert hall or out at uh, some venue where a performance is done, where it's been done really well and done with excellence and the conductor leads with energy and fervency and with, with, with skill, what happens at the end of the concert? What happens at the end of that performance? The people stand up. They're cheering. And, and there's, there's a, a, a grand uh, response by the, the people. Our lives should be so supplemented with the values of the Word of God, of biblical values, and of biblical character, that our lives should show the grandness of our God. The greatness of our God. The holiness of our God. That's what our lives should show. We are convicted by that. I'm convicted by that. Because is my life so supplemented, if I added so much virtue, that my life has a grandness and a greatness that points to the Lord? A greatness of our God, the goodness of our God, the holiness of our God. Does my life demonstrate that? Does my life point to Christ, point to God? Virtue is moral excellence, excellence of character, of goodness. In the classical Greek, it's the ability to perform heroic deeds. It's the demonstration of moral character. It's having a heart for Christ. Knowledge means to know, to understand. It's literally discernment. Temperance is self-control, self-discipline. Having the flesh under control, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And understanding the long-term consequences of unrestrained desires in order to be effective in the Lord's service. Patience has to do with endurance. Yes, patience and waiting, yes, but really it has to do with endurance, perseverance, steadfastness, from a root meaning to stay on or with, to remain under, to do doing right in spite of trials and temptations. It's courageous endurance for godliness, for Christ, for the kingdom of the Lord. And then we see godliness in general as a reverence, a holiness of life. It's the crown of the previous four virtues. It's a devotion to God. It is worship that is worthy of God. It's a worship of life. It's a life lived that is worthy of God. And then brotherly kindness. This is one that is one of the biggest areas of struggle for us as believers, especially in a self, very self-centered, selfish world where everything is about I and whether somebody benefits me. Culture is so depraved that it's about whether or not another person brings value to my life. So I have toxic people in my life that I get rid of. And I determine their toxicity, or however you pronounce that word. I determine that. Because I am the master of my own fate. I'm the determiner of my own goodness and my own truth. This is the way our culture lives. So now, literally... You can choose your own family. 
there, are, there is a movement to repudiate, to reject your own blood relatives and to choose your own family. And then when somebody becomes toxic in your chosen family, you just remove them and you go on to somebody else. Okay? The, the, the uh, hookup singles culture, the sexual revolution, has this in its roots. That you are only serving me. You are only around to benefit me. So now there's a survey that has come out that if you were to have a choice between rescuing your dog or rescuing a relative, 60% in the survey said they would rescue their dog because their dog has more relational value than a relative does. So now you can have a fake marriage called a same-sex marriage. That's not a real marriage, okay? You can have a same-sex marriage, and you can have, because of the same-sex marriage, for obvious reasons, they cannot reproduce, okay? So now they get to choose from these sperm banks and egg banks and all these in vitro procedures, they can choose a fertilized egg, and they can customize their family. Now there's rich people paying surrogate moms in Europe, places like Ukraine, where they can choose to have a womb rented or borrowed somewhere across the world to produce a baby because their relationship cannot produce one or because they don't want a particular hereditary or genetic line. You say, this is, this is ridiculous. This, this is hard to comprehend. This is where our world is at. This is what our world is doing now. So now choice has become such a God. We don't want the unborn baby, so we murder it. We don't want our family, so we call them toxic and eliminate them. We don't want God's order and design for marriage, so we provide or produce some other fake kind of marriage. And then we don't want God's order and design for sexuality and for gender, so then we jettison that. And before long, we're just living every man doing what is right in his own eyes. So where does brotherly kindness come in? This is what really helps set us apart as Christians. I get tired of customer service Christianity. Christianity, Just be nice. Just do the nice thing. If you can at least do what Chick-fil-A does, then you will get along. And then we can all go along to get along. But think about what brotherly kindness really is. It is kindness, but it is affection for a family member. And this is what we're to have for one another in the church. It is phileo love, but notice the descriptions. Warm-hearted, kindly affectioned, Romans 12.10. Others focused, like-minded, Romans 15.4, Philippians 2.1 and 3. Let this mind be new, which was also in Christ Jesus. Kindness, Ephesians 4.32. Tender-hearted and humble. This is the key ingredients to our relationships. This is what brotherly kindness looks like. This is not love is love is love. This is the biblical definition of phileo love, brotherly kindness that shows, that manifests itself in a warm-hearted, 
others-focused, like-minded, kindness, tender-hearted, and humility between one another. It's in the home. That's where it has to start, between a husband and wife. It has to then be carried forth in the home with brothers and sisters, with children. And our children have to be taught from early on, don't they, how to get along. Because if they can't get along with one another, what's going to happen? If they can't learn to love family, they can't learn to love brother and sister, where are they going to carry that? They're going to carry that brokenness out into the world. And if they can't learn to love their blood relatives, their blood brothers, their blood sisters, then how are they going to treat their non-blood brothers, the non-family? So it really comes down to uh, the home. And again, it comes down to a biblical uh, love that we have for one another. And then the, the word charity in the King James, we know it's the, the word translated charity. It's the agape love. It's the strongest term, and it's a sacrificial love. It is a me giving of myself sacrificially. And then the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, are a com- is a comparable passage uh, to Second uh, Peter chapter number 1. So we've seen here already that our faith is built with confidence, and it's built with conviction. And then we build our faith with character. Character traits defined by the Bible. Virtues. Fruit of the Spirit. That the Bible describes. That are biblically produced. Holy Spirit produced. So then, what does that lead us to? Where, where does that take us? Okay, I'm going to try to give you a little, little practical illustration. Uh, sometimes I'm, I'm kind of a visual guy. And sometimes I, I need an illustration uh, to help me. Uh, kind of put things in, in, into, into or, in, to organize my mind. So I made this little Christian life pyramid uh, to maybe help us out, to help organize our thoughts. And it's not that this is the, 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 the only template, you know, the final template uh, that, that we use understanding the Christian life, but it, it helps me. I hope that it helps you to. So when we think of the Christian life, the foundation of the Christian life, as we're building our faith with confidence, with conviction, with character, that foundation is Bible study, prayer, and church attendance. It, we have to have the Bible study, we have to have the prayer, and we have to have church. Okay, that's at that foundation. Now, again, we're talking about a saved individual, born again, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Okay, we're, we're talking about... Uh, Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith, faith alone and Christ alone. And that then is resting, we rest upon Christ, so we spend time in his word, we study the word, we apply the word, we're not just hearers only, but doers. We're in prayer, and we are faithfully attending church. Okay, we're not, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. That brings us to the Spirit-filled life, which we just addressed in Galatians 5, in 2 Peter chapter 1. The fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life that produces these virtues, these character traits that we add to our faith. And then it's lived out in obedience, in service for the Lord. So we have this faith in Christ that saved us, and we, can, we, we keep the foundation. We keep the foundation strong. 
And sometimes I think what happens in the Christian life is we want to, we want to focus on up here at the top, and we'll get there eventually. But we're, we're, we're constantly having cracks down here in our foundation. Now, I don't know about you, but we have, we have a basement in our house, and the inspector came when we moved in a year ago. One of the things that he went and looked at in the basement is, are there any cracks in the walls? Are there any foundation problems? Why would the inspector do that? Because if you don't have a good foundation, the whole thing's going to fall. Grace Baptist in Muncie, who many of us know, they had a fellowship room, fellowship hall built, and it was not built correctly. And they ended up having to spend uh, thousands of dollars, I don't know what the final total was, to, to correct that building because it wasn't built correctly and they had to uh, reinforce it. And we've been back over there uh, with the men's meeting and, and been in there now that it's been reinforced. But there were a couple of years, I think, where we couldn't even use that room because it was not built correctly. We understand structure and foundation, how important they are. But how often do we neglect the foundation of the Christian life? And we wonder why there are cracks in our life, but we're not faithful to keep the foundation strong. Uh, I know there's companies out there that go in and they have to fix foundation problems, AccuLevel or whatever they're called, and it is a tedious, painstaking, expensive process to go in and to have to put those jacks in and to raise that house up and reinforce and put in uh, whatever the correction that have to be made. It is a difficult, expensive, and obviously an extremely valuable process. But we often neglect those three areas down there at the bottom. And we wonder why we're struggling in the other areas. Okay? We also need suffering in our that is part of the Christian growth process. We, we have to experience suffering. If it's always peaches and cream, pineapple and cottage cheese, and easy as apple pie, we don't grow. We don't develop. We don't get stronger. We, we, we have to have, in a sense, the rocks on the wall to be able to grow, to be able to get higher. We have to have the bumps in the road, so to speak, that we climb on. Suffering is essential. It's necessary. It teaches us to depend upon the Lord. It purges us of sin. It causes us to once again see our weakness and to depend upon the Lord. Like we talked about this morning, that uh, his, his grace is sufficient. That God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. And then we see joy. Now see, this is again where we get ourselves in trouble because we want this first. We live in a world that's basically worshiping personal happiness, but completely misses joy. The deep, internal, long-term peace and joy that comes through a satisfying relationship with God and an obedient life that, yes, involves suffering, but is built upon the foundation of Bible study, prayer, church, and the, the, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and the virtues of 2 Peter 1. But many times we want to replace joy with personal happiness. We want to feel good all the time. We live in a sensual culture. And we want to feel good 
all the time about everything. Well, how many times do we wake up in the morning and we don't feel like doing whatever it is? How many times, I know, and uh, I'm, I'm not trying to pick on a young family here tonight. I'm not trying to pick on anybody. But I, I know what it's like in the middle of the night. Two o'clock in the morning. Baby is crying. I get that elbow. I can still remember getting the elbow. Because I'm the heavy sleeper. So Kelly, she would wake up. Of course, it's mother's intuition too, right? Mom, they just... They know when the baby's whimpering. They just know. I'm a heavy sleeper. I can sleep through thunderstorm. I'd get that elbow I knew what I needed to do. Two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. Get out of bed. And I feed the baby. Now, if it was Emily, I'd sit there for an hour. Sometimes two. Just sleep. <laughs> if it were Josiah... He's out. He was the best baby of all four of them. You know? <laughs> Praise the Lord. We finally, got, we finally got to success, you know? Didn't feel like it. Did I feel like getting up and feeding the baby at 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning? But it's one of the best things for us as adults to go through that experience of having to love a child even in the places that it hurts. And it grows us, doesn't it? I've heard, I've heard it said that one of the best things for a young man is to get married, commit himself to a wife, and have a child, and have to raise that child and commit himself. One of the problems in our society today, even in this whole abortion thing, is that men get a free pass from commitment, from sacrifice, from the demonstration of true, loyal, sacrificial love. And we as men are wimps sometimes when it comes to commitment, sacrifice, and true, loyal love. And we have 40-year-old, 50-year-old men who've never committed to anything a day in their life. And they're smoking pot, and they're high on weed, and they're dying from fentanyl overdoses, but they're not committed to their family, they're not committed to the woman that they sleep with. They're not committed to the Lord. They're not committed to anything that's productive. How sad, isn't it? How sad when we have young men who are statistics. They want joy, and they're finding that they can't find happiness because they're looking for it in all the wrong places. And finally, what is it really all about? God's glory. It's really all about God's glory. This is not the easiest pyramid to build. It's hard. It's worth it, though. It's the best life because it's the Christian life. It's, it's a lie of the devil that the world's way, the way of partying and drinking and boozing and fornicating. The world says that's the life. Expressive individualism, freedom of all kinds, of every variety. You choose anything and everything for yourself, and you live for yourself. And you'll have happiness, you know? You live for yourself, you'll find that you're digging a big ditch of devastation, of heartache, of consequence. But when we build God's way, the Christian life, we find at the top... The joy of the Lord and God's glory. And that's what brings true, lasting 
satisfaction. May we live our life according to God's way, and maybe this pyramid helps us a little bit in understanding some of these truths. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we've been able to be together in your word, looking at practical principles from the word of God that help us, Lord, in building the Christian life, building our faith in a way that honors and glorifies you. Lord, you want our best. You want what's good for us. And sometimes we we think that you want something opposite, something contrary to that. But Lord, you want our holiness. You want our best. But our best comes by honoring you and obeying you and living according to your will and according to your word. Help us to build our lives according to your word by the word of God, the promises, the commands, the principles of the word of God. May we live them out and see you glorified and you build our lives in a way that brings honor to your name and shares the gospel with others and is a testimony and is a light and a salt to this world around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.